This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week my interview is with Charles Lamont Garner. Charles has been the touring drummer for India RE for a number of years, and when he's not out with her... Uh, he's based in Atlanta, where he stays busy as a drummer and producer. As you may know, I recently moved to Atlanta from L.A., and Charles was one of the first drummers I saw here. He was uh, planned for a Sade tribute show, and I was just so impressed with his sound, his groove, his uh, musicality. I was like, I gotta meet this guy. So I introduced myself after the show, and he also turned out to be the friendliest, most down-to-earth dude, so I, I knew I had to get him on the podcast. We talk a little bit about the India RE gig, uh, but the focus of this interview ended up being the life lessons that Charles has picked up from all of the mentors and experiences he's had uh, in his professional and personal life from the time he was a teenager. Uh, he really has his feet on the ground in a way that I think everyone should aspire to, no matter what kind of musician you are or what kind of career you have. Like I said, he's the first Atlanta-based drummer that I've interviewed, and there are going to be more. Uh, there's a great music scene here, both on the local and national level, and the talent pool is deep and wide. Uh, so you'll be hearing from us here in the ATL, and I can't think of a better guy to start it off than Charles Lamont Garner. You mentioned this week you got a lot of church stuff going on? Yeah, yeah, a lot of church stuff. Um, on Starting on Tuesdays, I have rehearsal. Um, we have choir rehearsal and praise team rehearsals and um, getting ready for Wednesday because whatever we do on Wednesday, we do Sunday. So mm-hmm. that's all we do on um, during the week for church. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on Monday nights, we have the corporate band. We talked about the corporate band. Yeah, yeah. We'll get so into that. Yeah, that's every Monday <laughs> night. But as far as church, it's only Tuesday and Wednesday and, and Sundays. Cool. Which is cool. Also, really, really cool church. You know, it's really laid back. It's not as... Um, as stressful as a lot of situations that mm-hmm. I've, you know, heard of people, you know, having to be there all the time and can't leave for other gigs and yep. gotta be back on Sunday, you know, that whole thing. Yep. Um, it's uh, for me, it's it's a little more um, lenient. You know. And are you? Do you just play drums for the church, or are you also like a musical director? Do you sing? You? Um, well, I, I play drums um, primarily, of course, but um, I do like some of the programming and stuff like. For click tracks and you know some of the Ableton stuff, you know that yeah. that kind of well getting into the Ableton thing, but I'm using Logic right now. But you know all that backing track stuff. But yeah, yeah, that's about it. So the, like the church thing has become like a production. <laughs> well, <laughs> for, and, for a lot of churches, for right? a lot of churches, yeah, um, it's become a production. But for us, um, we're in a situation where right now it's just a two piece band, and it really went, it went from a it went from a let me see yeah, guitar bass auxiliary keys oh well when i came it was um, just organ and keys to now just keys and drums mm-hmm. so um thank god for ableton <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying to make everything a, a little more full ableton ableton and logic so yeah um but we sound like a full band yeah, yeah. still but um so yeah that's why it's a production because we got to fill the gaps so yeah. to speak you know right, so, right. but yeah yeah so and the church is where you started playing right yeah yeah i started my dad is uh well my grandfather 
was a pastor. Uh-huh. So um, in Charleston, so, in Charleston, South Carolina. So it's, it's so funny because I grew up Baptist, uh-huh. and in my Baptist church, my uncle, um, Uncle Larry Brown, he used to play piano. So they just had an upright piano uh-huh. in the corner, and um, and the mothers had the tambourines and the, you know, with the, with, you know, with the bat with the batter head on it or uh-huh. the open ones or whatever. And they didn't want drums in the church. Yeah, because it was like very old school hardwood floor, you know. So we used to beat, stump on the floor and beat on the back of the pews. Like <laughs> those were our drums, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, they tried bringing in drums at one point. I think I was about maybe 10, mm-hmm. 9 or 10. And because the church was so small, like the mothers on the front row, they were like complaining because it was too loud. And, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But um. But yeah, but um, I I later joined another church when I was about fourteen or fifteen, and they offered to pay me, and I was like, "You want to pay me to play the drums?" <laughs> I was like, "Okay, cool, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, um, I'll do that." So, so yeah, so that's how I started like playing drums in church. You know right. what I mean? Like um, as a as a gig as as, as a gig, but as a kid, um, the only time I used to play drums in church outside of you know. Because I couldn't play at my grandfather's church, was I would visit other churches or go to other like, um, uh, what you call it, uh, like holiness churches mm-hmm. or um, Pentecostal type churches, mm-hmm. and I used to sit under my drum mentor. His name was Quentin Baxter, and he would, um, you know, I'd just sit there and just watch him play, or he'd let me get on during the offering, or, you know, yeah, that yeah. type of thing. So. So yeah, that that was my drumming experience in church. You right. Know? Yeah. So yeah. So and talk about Quentin Baxter because you you mentioned him before as Man. kind of the the central figure in your in your drum education. Quentin Baxter is uh, to the younger generation, he would be my Chris Dave mm-hmm. as far as um, um being innovative and being like just like super creative on the drums. Like I've never heard. Like he has the aggression, like we talked about, like of a like of a Elvin yeah. Jones. Like he has that kind of, you know, kind of feel type thing. Uh-huh. But it's a little more um, open and experimental yeah. than um, than I can remember Elvin being as far as recordings and stuff. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, man, Quentin, like he's he's my mentor, man. He taught me a lot about drums, life, character mm-hmm. in the music industry. You know what I mean? So I, you know, I owe a lot to him, man. Like you know. I'm not like a superstar or anything like that, but he, you know, what I mean? he's my he's my drum hero. You yeah, know what I mean, like he's my, you know, that's my dude. And he's still, he, you know, he's still in Charleston. And he's still in Charleston. And he um he has a, a jazz club there now, called um called uh, the Mez. Um, it's on top of a restaurant called Sir Metz. Um, and actually the owner of Sir Metz and and he they they open it together basically. Mm-hmm. Um. It used to be called the mezzanine back in the day, um, and used to used to in, enter through like the side entrance. It, it wasn't you couldn't enter from the inside of the restaurant during that time, but it, it made it real funky because back in the day, like it was right on the sidewalk. Everybody came up through this like back uh, staircase thing, and then you came in. It was real smoky and like yeah, it was yeah. old school. You know what I mean? When you could still smoke in clubs. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But anyway, they closed that, and he reopened it. Mm-hmm. And um and he's a professor or was a professor at the College of Charleston um University down mm-hmm. in Charleston and uh yeah and he plays for Renee Marie mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of her a jazz artist um mm-hmm. and he's done a lot of uh 
was Freddie Cole, mm-hmm. um, you know, a couple guys, but he's a heavy jazz guy. And did you did you study with him in college or no? Just in the church, yeah, just in church, sort of independently, independently at his house. Like we just you know shed and you know just go hang out at his gigs and be his you know his roadie, right? <laughs> for a while, you know, when he first like when I was about fourteen ish um i would like travel into some of his jazz gigs and i remember you saying like you you didn't realize it at first but after a year or two you realized like i'm this dude's roadie yeah i'm just, yeah. I'm just fucking his <laughs> shit around exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> I, I was happy doing it though you know what i mean and uh just in case he's listening huh <laughs> yeah i was um yeah it was it taught me a lot man it's ta- it taught me a whole 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 lot you know how to play in different rooms and seeing him in a small room and and wondering how he has that same intensity as playing on a big stage, but you can feel him the same way without it, mm-hmm. you know, losing anything. You know what I mean? That, yeah. You know, that is what I really gravitated towards, you know, how to play in different rooms and how to be sensitive in any situation. Yeah. People people talk about playing the room in terms of volume, mm. but but mm. it's, you know, I'm as, as I'm hearing you say that, mm. I'm realizing it's not just about volume. It's mm-hmm. about your your attitude and the vibe of the room right. and and just sort of matching the mood and the absolutely. setting and absolutely yeah absolutely and um i mean you can you can match the mood absolutely but you can um you can set the mood as well mm. you know what i mean yeah um, yeah i'm um i'm big into like setting moods and that's something else quentin taught me um is how to drive the band or pull people into the situation because sometimes like especially in the jazz world like you become background music a lot of times like it depending on where you're playing Mm -hmm. and uh and his thing was no matter where he played like he made people like feel what he was doing and pull their attention to the band you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so it was like you know even if it's something like he's playing light and like just hit the the bass drum really hard you know what i mean something that people kind of like turn around like what was that you know type thing you know you know, just a little stuff, but um, but yeah, that's Quentin Baxter, man. He's, he's what, a beast. What are what are some examples you can or an example that you can point to of because you know we've we've talked a little bit about how he influenced you musically, mm-hmm. but it it sounds to me like he was also somebody you looked at like you were a teenager and he was an adult that you mm-hmm. looked at and said, here's a guy who has a career in music. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what are some examples of of lessons you learned about how he conducted himself as a pro? Um. Timeliness, um, uh, just you know, just good character. You know what I mean? Not being a butthole. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, even though most of us drummers are are assholes, you know what I mean? Like we are. You know to what I mean? To, to one extent or another. Um, but, but he he's just a, a genuine people's person, mm-hmm. and he's a teacher by nature. You know what I mean? So it's like he he carries himself as a teacher not a snob or not a stuck up type guy but he's very personal you know mm-hmm. what i mean so that's something I, I took from him um as far as um um being frugal so to speak mm-hmm. you know not very frugal but but i watched him do things like you know being a professor you know gigging and doing all of this and that and that and you know he was making a pretty sustainable living you know yeah, what i mean yeah. um but I watched him drive the same Ford Explorer or I think it was a Blazer maybe mm-hmm. for ever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Until he got to the point that he was like, okay, 
I can <laughs> afford to, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, you can yeah. always, like, buy something, but can you afford it? You know what right. I mean? Like, I need a new car right now. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, my, 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 uh, my bumper is hanging off. You know what I mean? I had a little accident <laughs> or whatever, but it's like, am I going to do it? Am I going to buy one just because I want one or can I afford to have it? Like, I watched him, you know, be financially sane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, just, Wow, man, raising his daughter. Um, he only had one daughter when they when he was in college with his college girlfriend, and um, he never got married. Um, but I watched the way you know he fathered his his daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, she she just graduated from college um, last year, and um, yeah. So and like, you you got little ones now, so that's yeah, a that's yeah, a whole yeah. new lesson you get to exactly. <laughs> but I have four, so you know, <laughs> I have uh, two little ones and and one that's graduating from college next year. Oh wow! Yeah, and then um, his younger brother. Um, he's a sophomore in college now, mm-hmm. um, and he goes to Point Park University in um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And my oldest goes to um, Methodist University in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So, um, yeah, and they're from a previous relationship, a mm-hmm. high school relationship, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. really young. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, so, um, but yeah, so watching him help me when I was 19 and had a baby, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. he, he was like, he was like, boy, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> But, but 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 listen, it's done. So yeah, yeah. this is what you need to do. You right. know what I mean? Like tighten up. You know, yeah. get your stuff together. You're not going to be a deadbeat dad mm-hmm. at all. You're not going to be one of these musicians that's having kids all around the world. Right. So we're going to take care of this right now. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So because he was that influential in my life, I didn't become that that guy. You right. know what I mean? Because I I um I grew up kind of with my father you know mm-hmm. what i mean so it was just like like my father wasn't completely absent mm-hmm. and my father's a drummer as well mm. um um but you know he decided to go in the military instead of pursuing a music career um but anyway um because our relationship wasn't um a hundred percent so to speak like quentin um like showed me a lot of things and, and not necessarily taking on the role of a father but but yeah. like some of the things that were missing he, leading he, by example yeah he yeah leading by example he's my big brother basically right. Right, right. you know what i mean so um so yeah that's that's what i got from him man yeah. just a good guy cool Your bio mentions a, a trip to Europe that you took when you were like 16. Yeah. Was that with the church group? That was with a um, gospel group called um, Tony and Company. Okay. Um, Tony and Company. It was so it was so strange. Um, um, so I started the church that I was talking about that I got paid mm-hmm. to start playing at when I was 15. Um, this guy from Switzerland, I can't remember his name right now. He was a um, promoter. Can't remember his name. Um, so it was a long time ago. But um, he came to the U.S. during a blues festival, and he was looking for like some gospel acts. So Tony um, was a was a friend of ours from you know a friend of my my parents and stuff. Uh, you know, for years I knew him as a child or whatever. But he basically put a group together. We went in the studio. Like this, all of this happened in like a course of like three days. <laughs> So the guy came, he wanted to see a group. So we got together, rehearsed a couple of songs, played it for him, went in the studio, recorded the, the eight song tape or something at the time and um, went to Switzerland for um, the Blues the Bop Festival, hmm. um, which was, uh, it was really dope. It was at uh, in Lugano, Switzerland. Yeah. And um, 
I don't know if they still have you heard of it. Did it I have. You I have? don't know if it's still going on, but oh, okay. I I know about that festival in mm-hmm. Lugano and, okay, and yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah, so it was it was that festival and um man, that that made me like first it was, Oh, you wanna pay me to play drums and then the next year it was like, Oh, I get to go somewhere and, right. and get paid and play drums. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was yeah, just yeah. like, Oh, okay, I think I think I wanna do this for the rest yeah. of my life type thing. <laughs> And um, but especially going to Switzerland, man, it was just um, it was eye opening, man. I mean, being from Charleston, Charleston is a very small town. I mean, people know about it now because of you know the horrors that that's happened there. Yeah. Um, but it's a very um small city uh-huh. with um, and the ment- I'm trying to be careful how I say this, but the mentality of most of the people there are small as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just like. You can like even me saying, "Man, I'm getting ready to go to Switzerland to play the drums." Like, you're not going to Switzerland. You're lying. You know, what I mean? <laughs> go to Switzerland to play. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's almost like a crab in the bucket type type thing. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it doesn't. It didn't come out of the clear blue sky. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's a reason for that. You yeah, know yeah. I mean? You know, you know, we don't have to go into that right now. But yeah. you know, that's another conversation for another time. And another but, different podcast. And, and a whole a whole different podcast. <laughs> uh, so, um, so yeah. So, uh, being that I was from there, I never saw the potential of like actually being, you know, a professional musician. Yeah. I mean, I mean my father's brothers they were all musicians and they all traveled and did things you know blah 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 but i just never saw it as something real it yeah. was just something i loved doing you right. know what i mean um so what yeah. was the like you you make this trip when you're 16 and you're mm-hmm. like holy shit i can do this i want to do this mm-hmm. so so what what are the steps you take from that point into adulthood <laughs> uh to to reach the goal of becoming a full-time professional musician. And at what point, like, did you become full-time professional player? Um, Cause it sounds like it was pretty early. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of weird because it's like, um, during that time, I, I can't really say like what steps I'm like you make to go on into it because mm-hmm. I'm just learning that in the past 10 years or so, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. During that time, it was such a blur, you know, and everything happened so fast. It was just like, and then, then you're dealing with the young teenager with the, with the teenage arrogance and with the, (laughs) you know, all of that kind of stuff that comes along with being a teenager, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That some people have still, you know, but, um, um, so I get back, um, and the, and one of the lessons I learned on that trip was um some I won't name any names, but the person that was responsible for paying us what they were supposed to pay us didn't pay us exactly what what they were supposed to pay us. Mm. So that was a lesson all in itself, you know, like so I'm like, okay. And even even being a young man, I was just like, okay, I was supposed to get this, but I got that. Hmm, what do I do? Do I get angry? Do I stop playing? Do I, you know, blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. Next time, I'm going to make sure I have something in writing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so I'm, I'm not going to say I'm not going the next time, but the next time I'll make sure it's what it's supposed to be. So the next time me and my mom, we went and um, we got a lawyer. 
like it was a friend of the family type type situation uh-huh. and he, and he uh, I wrote up something and he he told me if it would work or not you know he wasn't mm-hmm. an entertainment lawyer but right <laughs> you know because it wasn't you know it's Charleston there's no entertainment lawyers in Charleston <laughs> but um anyway so he um so he looked over for it he looked over for me I was like okay I think that you know I think it'd be cool just give him that it was this little one page paragraph you know it wasn't nothing serious right so um. I asked the guy to, you know, if he can honor and sign, sign it or whatever. And he was like, cool. You know, he, he kind of respected it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And um, that, I think that was maybe the only time in my music career that I've used the contract. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's so funny. But um, anyway, um, so, yeah, that was a lesson um, as far as steps into being a professional musician or knowing, you know, how to get into that. Um I don't know. Um, so sixteen through maybe nineteen, we went to back and forth to Europe, like maybe twice a year. Wow. Or so. And then um when I turned oh sixteen to about till about twenty actually, we went back and forth. Um so when I turned um twenty one, um Quentin put me on this um somebody called him about doing this reggae gig. Mm. And and the name of the band was Rasbungi All Stars. Um, and I didn't know anything about playing reggae. I knew how it felt, but I didn't know anything about playing it. I didn't know yeah. the artists like you know outside of Bob Marley and Pete Tosh. Right. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know the culture of the music. So um, he kind of like threw me in the flames. He was <laughs> like, "Well, I can't do it. I'm doing this. So here you go, boom." Yeah. Type type situation. Um, that experience taught me so so much i did that i did that for about maybe two and a half three years um played like we used to do this club called the bubble room in in charleston if anybody from charleston uh that's listening would would remember this because it was like the biggest night of charleston especially in the college world Uh um wednesday nights at the bubble room with ross (laughs) bungie all-stars like this was like in 90 i don't know 97 through Mm -hmm. 99 or something like that but yeah like that was the the spot in charleston like it was packed out like the whole thing but um anyway um so yeah so i did that and then um yeah and then it just kind of continued from from there i was under the impression that you you kind of from the age of 16 we're doing this that and the other in and around Charleston but mm-hmm. it sounds more like you were you were doing the gospel thing mm-hmm. for 4 years and then you did the reggae thing mm-hmm. for a couple more years mm-hmm. so it, you were more of a serial monogamist <laughs> in terms of <laughs> yeah in terms, in terms of, of of genres of music um which was um which was dope man because like it 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 crafted me into a uh, a more versatile musician. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it made me this um, like one one of my friends um, like gave me the name uh, Mister Everything <laughs> because like it, it it pushed me to a point that I can like get on the drums and like play authentically um, just about any style of music mm-hmm. as far as urban is concerned. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like. If there's anything from from jazz to progressive jazz to fusion to to gospel to uh, reggae to blues, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that that kind of stuff, you know. Um, like by the time I was like maybe 25 or 26, it was like 
I kind of like embodied all of those styles. I mean, first of all, they're all really similar. Yeah. You know what I mean? But um, the feels are slightly different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just like being able to sit with real blues guys and with real reggae guys and mm-hmm. with real jazz heads. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and it, it you sounds know, like so. you did you did each of those things kind of one at a time. Right. Instead of, uh, you know, today I'm going to practice my jazz shit. Nah. Tomorrow I'm going to practice my gospel yeah. shit. Right. Um, so right. You, you, you devoted kind of all your time mm-hmm. and attention to, to one thing. But the one thing that was consistent was the gospel. So, mm-hmm. like, everything that I was doing all the other genres, I still played at church on Sunday. I still mm-hmm. had rehearsals during the week. I still played with a gospel group to some extent. You know what I mean? Like um, my, my cousin's gospel group called Focus. Um, I would play with them um, for years. And like we were a different kind of gospel band. So it was like a, like, I don't know, like Spira Gyra or somebody meets gospel type situation. Like we would be in my grandfather's garage and like just come up with crazy stuff to do you know like a lot of what what the gospel music industry is doing now mm-hmm. you know what i mean like we were like shedding on that kind of stuff in the 90s you know what I mean? yeah so um but yeah but the one thing that was consistent was the the gospel yeah um and i was i was gonna ask you like why because i mean your your background is in gospel that's where you started mm-hmm. and i was gonna ask you why you didn't turn out to be a full-on gospel chopper um, but it sounds like the answer is like you were in a reggae band full time. You mm-hmm. couldn't, you couldn't mm-hmm. like, um, and, and another, another part of that was, um, I, I love playing gospel music and being in the gospel world, but I, like you said, I wasn't like solely devoted to something at, at one time. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, a lot of the gospel choppers, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The closest I, the uh, the only thing a little outside of that, um, back in the, in those days was like fusion kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like like we would study like the Yellow Jackets. You know that's one of the biggest, right? You know gospel like gospel guys love the Yellow Jackets. You know what I mean? I love Yellow Jackets. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, a lot of gospel guys love the Yellow Jackets. I didn't like know a that. lot of stuff that they do, like that's Yellow Jackets. Huh. You know what I mean? Um, so you hear most gospel musicians talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so. Um, you know, yeah, outside of that, you know, um, yeah, that's, that's why I didn't like really do it because I was gigging doing other things while like my peers, you know, that was 16, 17, when they was just going like this in the gospel world, I was like this, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like learning all of these different fields, you Mm -hmm. know? So like some things, like when I come back, even now I go (laughs) in a gospel shed or something and be like, what? (laughs) what did you just do (laughs) like i don't understand i don't even understand that you know what i mean but um but yeah but i mean it's it's huge now because all of the gospel players are playing all the pop gigs Mm -hmm. most of the r&b gigs you know like that kind of thing almost all the r&b gigs and most pop gigs type thing um Mm -hmm. so so yeah yeah so that's and do you do you think it in talking to you about the whole like gospel chops phenomenon Mm -hmm. it seems like you're maybe a little ambivalent about it because on the one hand it's it's where you come from and a lot of your friends Mm -hmm. and and colleagues Mm -hmm. are in that Mm -hmm. but that's not really how you play no and that's it's not how i play at all um i don't have anything against it yeah Uh, but like you said i'm ambivalent about it like um um i still believe in being musical Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um a lot of times saying gospel chops or or it's 
it almost take it it, it takes on like a, a a negative type vibe. You yeah. know what I mean? Like some people look at it in a negative way. I don't look at it in a, in a negative way. It's just um, I I I believe you you pigeonhole yourself a lot of times when that's all you do. Like mm-hmm. if you can't discipline yourself, like because there's a lot of gospel choppers out there. Um, like my boy um, um, Devin Taylor. Like he plays for Justin Bieber now. He he would be considered a gospel chopper if you saw him in that that setting. Mm-hmm. But if you see him on a Bieber gig, like you would never think he can do all that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he's so pocket, he's so seasoned, he's so like he's in the groove yeah. of, of the of the of the song and of the set mm-hmm. that you would never think that he would he can go in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but he's one of those guys. Like he can. Aaron Spears, the same. Like that's like my brother. Like he's he he would at one time would be considered a gospel chopper, but now like being that like, he's playing with Usher and I can't remember the other artist now that he's playing with from uh, Italy, an Italian artist, mm-hmm. um, some big guy. Um, but um, but yeah, like in those sets, he's you know he does his job. You right. know what I mean? But if you put him in a shed type situation or gospel, like he's going to chop your head off. You know what I mean? Because that's what he does. Him yeah. and his little brother, Jamal Moore. Um, he the same thing. Like Jamal is just, he's, he's a monster, man. Like he played for, um, what's the good lady's name? Natasha Bedingfield. Uh-huh. I think that's her name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a couple other people. He played with CeeLo, um, a few people, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think it has its time. You know what I mean? Like if, if you can discipline yourself enough to um, to play the music, mm-hmm. but still have that, yeah. and when it's time for solos and everything else, yeah. you know what I mean. Like, I, I believe it's a good thing, but yeah. I don't think it should be all you do, right? You know, because sometimes in the gospel world, like if you're not blazing, as we say, mm-hmm. like you can't play. You know what I mean? It's like if you he just I, I hear people now say, man, he's just too pocket. I'm like, <laughs> from where where I come from, it's like. <laughs> Back in my day, pocket was the thing to be. You know right. what I mean? So to hear some of the young guys saying, "Man, he just two pocket," I'm like, "What is two pocket? What is that?" Like, <laughs> you know, I'm lost. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm really out of the game." Must be. I don't know. But um, yeah. But yeah, you know, that's just my my opinion. I believe that simplicity always wins. What prompted the move to Atlanta? Um, I kind of fought against it for a couple of years. One of my um. My uh, best friends was here, and um, and it was it, it, well. First, I'm gonna talk about why I didn't like Atlanta. Um, I'm a country boy. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I'm a country boy. Um, I I love the city. I love visiting, and mm-hmm. I love the city vibe. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like um, a lot of times, I don't carry myself as a country boy, but it, deep inside, I am. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I love you know. And I'm a beachy, I'm a beach bums kind of sort of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Being from Charleston, like you can always go straight to the water and right. just chill and like you can get away from the hustle and bustle of everything. You know what I mean? Like yep. I'm, I'm that kind of guy, almost introvert-ish, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, but Atlanta, every time I came, it was fun, but it was like, man, I don't know if I can live it. Almost like being in New York or LA is like, man, this is dope, but I don't know if I can live here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though I was full-time musician it was just right. like 
I was cool working and doing what I was doing. I was traveling overseas and I can come right back home. I can do. And once again, it goes back to Quentin. I saw him doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, he was all around the world and Asia and everywhere, but he came back to Charleston. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like I was patterning, you know, I was patterning, uh, patterning yeah. myself after him. <laughs> you know what I was saying? I was mm-hmm. taking on his, his, um, his approach to, um, being a full time musician. But so moving here, um, um, after, after a little while, I started when I when I would come to Atlanta. I started feeling this um, man. I need this feels like home thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was like, no, I can't do it. I don't want to live in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So this went on for about three years. Like wow. I fought against moving, fought against moving. I would talk to my friends. They're like, man, just move. Like yeah. So you already had friends here yeah, and yeah, colleagues yeah. who were like, man, you got to get yeah, here. yeah, get here, man. Like you're good. Like once you get here, you're on. Like I promise you, you know, blah blah blah. You know, everybody make promises, but right. I, I believe. The, the specific guys that were saying this to me. Um, but it was just like, nah, I'm good, you know. <laughs> so I um I'm 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 a very um uh, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm not a religious person, but I am a spiritual person and um you know I believe in God and I believe in Jesus being my savior, you know, but I'm not uh a spooky Christian kind of type person. You know what I mean? Um Whatever that is, but, uh, <laughs> but um, that's a, another separate. Yeah, that's podcast. a whole other part. Of the podcast. <laughs> but um, so I talked to my pastor. I said that to say that I talked to my pastor about it, mm-hmm. and um, because I really trust his opinion and his, you know, and it was so funny because like a lot of people go to him and say, "Yo, I want to move to Atlanta. What do you think about it?" Da da da. All this and he's like, oh, "I don't think so. I don't think you should move." You know, so it, I would see a lot of people get shot down when they kind of went to him to kind of get his advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the same guy I was under since I was 15. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, um, so I went to him and I said, um, I said, man, so I think, I think I, I need to be in Atlanta. You know, what do you think about it? He's like, man, I think Atlanta be a great move for you. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, is this the same person? You know? Um, so yeah. And then, you know, and again, I kind of like fought against even saying something to him about it, you know, because I didn't want to get shot down because mm-hmm. I because I, at that point I was feeling like, OK, I'm going to go ahead and move. Yeah. But I didn't want it to be like, no, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. Because I knew if if, if it would have been a no, it would have been like ugh, I would have felt like it was confirmation that I shouldn't go. I would have mm-hmm. probably felt like that yeah, you know, what yeah. I mean? because I trust his opinion that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he said that, I felt a release to be like, OK, cool. So, um. I started making plans to move after um, I think I was going to move originally in August of 2009 or, or J- June of 2009, something like that. Um, so I didn't schedule any more gigs in town, you know, that kind of stuff. And with no anything in sight outside of just getting to Atlanta, I didn't have no gig lined up um, at the time. Um at the time, I was going to stay with a friend, mm-hmm. um, you know, that kind of thing. But um, one of my boys called me. He was like, from here, his name is Stacy Ellis. Uh, Quick, we call him Quick. He's a drummer. He's actually from Charleston, but he's, he lives here. Great drummer, man. Um, so he called me and he was like, man, he said, um, I got a call to do this gig in Ethiopia <laughs> for, for three months, like this little corporate type situation. Um, but... I can't do it because I'm too busy here and I know you're getting ready to move. And he was one of the guys that was instrumental in getting me to move. He's like, man, you need to move type thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, man, you should take the gig, go over there, stack some money and it'd be perfect for your move. I was like, wow. Like, and the gig started in, in August. So like I said, after June, I didn't 
do anything, schedule anymore, any more gigs or whatever. I still had church or whatever, so I still did that until you know July, and then I left in August. Went to Ethiopia for three months, and um, so August, September, October, November, I was there. Came back, and then we did another three months over there. So I stayed. I came back to Charleston for like three weeks or whatever. Wow. Then went back because we did a second tour, and then I moved in um in June of of um of 2010. Okay. Now wait a second. Mm-hmm. What was this gig in Ethiopia? Okay, because when you hear about a corporate gig overseas, you think like Dubai or Hong Kong or like what what went on in okay. Ethiopia? So that was my first thought when he said <laughs> Ethiopia, because from images and growing up and stuff, all you think of is that Ethiopia is flies, big bellies, and starvation. Right? Yeah. Absolutely false. <laughs> like. One hundred and twenty thousand percent false. You know what I mean? Like, um, so Addis Ababa is the um, the um, the capital of of uh, Ethiopia and mm-hmm. the heart of Africa. Period. Um, so I learned from being over there. Um, it's it's where Lucy was born. Like, mm-hmm. where Lucy was formed, or discovered, whatever. discovered. <laughs> um, so uh, a very rich heart yeah. of Africa, you know what I mean? Cradle like, of humanity. Yeah, the cradle <laughs> of humanity, you know, basically. And um like it's the only like where we were when I went to get my shots for Africa, like that was the only region where I didn't really have to get any shots. Really? It was no malaria, no nothing that I had to get shots for. Wow. So I didn't have to get anything at yeah, all if yeah. I didn't want to. But anyway. Um so so yeah. Um the gig was at the Sheraton um Addis Hotel. And the Sheraton is um, it's a compound. It's like this five star compound thing. Mm-hmm. And they had this um, this bar called the Office Bar, and they would bring bands in um, every so often or whatever. And um, so the gig was we played from Tuesday. This was it Tuesday, to, either Monday to Thursday or Tuesday to Friday. I think it was Monday to Thursday we played because it was only four days a week. Mm-hmm. Had three days off. We only played from, I don't know, like seven to ten or something like that. It was something yeah. crazy early, like yeah. eight to eleven or something like that. <laughs> so we did that with a break. Um, and all before that, we had free. After that, we had free. The three days off, the hotel, let me tell you how great this gig was. <laughs> like, this was the dream like corporate gig. Yeah. And but the funny thing about it is people found a way to mess it up. But anyway, <laughs> this is like the dream corporate gig. Like, okay, so you're in Ethiopia, right? Um you're at a five-star resort. Um everything is 100% free except alcohol. Right. They had an Indian restaurant in there. They had an Italian restaurant in there. They had a uh, French restaurant in there. They had like this buffet style restaurant type thing. 24-hour room service. You can order steak at 4 o'clock in the morning if you wanted it. And it was good. (laughs) And and they had a bakery in there that you can get whatever you want. Like it was just free. Yeah. Okay. So if that's not good enough. You can fly over two family members on the hotel. Whoa. 
Yeah. If you want, if you wanted to, and they could stay as long as they wanted to. Holy shit! They could stay the entire time that you were there if you wanted them to. Um, the three days we were off, you could. Um, I think this was the only kind of shaky thing. Um, it it had to be the group of or the majority of the band going, but they would send you to any part of Ethiopia, fly you to any any part of Ethiopia that you wanted to visit. Just for like two day, you know, just get away. Sightseeing, like, wow. yeah. But it was the same thing as being at the hotel. You had free car service. You had free um, um, everything. Like yeah. they paid for the stay. They still paid for your food while you were there. Like, like it was it was a dream. It was like almost unreal. You yeah, know what I mean, yeah. So um, this is just just to yeah. interrupt you for a second. Like, <laughs> you know you. You you get into the music business and and as as young people we all have like you know the dream of like getting to tour the world and, mm-hmm. and this first class service and mm-hmm. and you know I've found and obviously you found that you you can very well get that first class experience but it probably is not going to be doing an arena tour right with a chart topper right it's doing like the random hotel gig in ethiopia (laughs) exactly and the funny part about that is the md of the band um dick smith richard richard dick smith um he's he's a guitarist and he played with earth wind and fire for like years a few years in in the 80s and and so and he's been with all of these top 80 bands and all this kind of stuff and he was like man we didn't get this kind of treatment doing arena gigs. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, this is the real deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, it was like they treated us like royalty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, some of the most beautiful people spiritually, first of all, but beautiful women were there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it was just, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, so that was the gig. But we played top 40s and, and Motown medleys and... Uh-huh. Michael Jackson medleys and you know yeah stuff like that just and in the hotel just, bar just in the hotel bar with all these <laughs> rich billionaire type people whatever which was cool um the chef that actually um owned the hotel like he and this is the thing I loved about the people man like he was the most like down to earth like people like person like he was the most down to earth person I ever met mm-hmm. is that of that caliber or he's the only person of that caliber that I ever met because he was a, like number 15, 20 uh, richest person in the world type thing. Yeah. But he was like, like when he met you, he would like kiss your hand. You know what I mean? And like, just like whatever you need, you know, like really humble and just like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but that experience was that experience. But the, the thing I got the most out of being in Ethiopia was getting off the camp, the compound, mm-hmm. and being in with the real people of Ethiopia, yeah. with the little kids that was just trying to make some money just so that they can get an education. Like when we went to um, to the um, the Nile River and the Nile Falls, we went on this hike thing, and um, we went on a hike of the Nile Falls, mm-hmm. and um, like we met some of the village kids that were so grateful that we brought like pens and and pads and stuff for them to like write and have you know stuff for school because they couldn't they didn't have a store yeah you know what yeah. I mean they didn't have any way of getting this these materials you know some I mean? so, some perspective to take back with you oh, to Atlanta yeah. oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> like like that that trip like changed 
my life, man. Mm-hmm. Like, com- I mean, completely. Like, I saw this little kid on the side of the road. He had to be at least eight. And he was, like, washing his clothes in a bucket. Like, and this is the city part right. of Ethiopia, you know? So it was just, it was, man, it was, um, it was life-changing, man. So it sounds like you had a little bit of a false start in Atlanta. Like you're like, I'm moving to Atlanta and mm-hmm. you got here and, mm-hmm. and life was like, nope, you're going to Ethiopia. Exactly. Well, actually, actually, I didn't move until after the Ethiopia tour was done. Okay. So my boy was like, you know, before you come, you can stack your money, you know, do this gig type mm-hmm. thing. So I just kind of waited. But through me waiting, um, one of my friends that was on the tour with us, she was like, um, you know, I have this apartment and blah, blah, blah. I just moved in with my with my boyfriend and I still have the lease open for a certain amount of time. So if you want to stay in that apartment, then let me know. And you could just, you know, stay there and pay the rent type thing. So that was something I didn't have to worry about. So I finished out the lease and then started a new lease mm. in my name. I was able to do it. And yeah. it was like right in the heart of, of Atlanta. Uh-huh. And that was a whole nother thing because I, I don't know if you're familiar with R. Thomas or uh, um, well, Peachtree. uh like Buckheadish areas, like yeah. at the beginning of Buckhead, like right after Midtown. Mm-hmm. It's like right in that area. I can walk out of my back gate and be on Peachtree and go to R. Thomas and go to Uncle Julio's and go to all these different places. And, you know, and that was, you know, kind of a, like I said, I'm a country boy. So when I moved, when I actually moved and I had my, you know, truck and stuff and moving truck and, and I pulled into the city and I was like, what the hell am I going to do now? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like what? And thank God, you know, things happen the way that it happened. You know what I mean? Because it's like, like I had enough money to sustain me for a while. I mm-hmm. just pay rent because oh, I didn't have to spend any money when I was in Ethiopia. So yeah. I'm stacking all of this money, you know, for six months. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. I'm coming here okay. Yeah. You know, um, so I had time. I had the time and the luxury that a lot of people didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, that in itself was another lesson on timing and 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 purpose and when you're supposed to be doing stuff and you know that that mm-hmm. whole thing. So um so yeah so when I got here I was cool for a while. Um I moved in June, but the favor on it was by December I was on tour with a national um, R&B artist. You know what I mean because of relationships. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. My boy was like, man, I forgot you were here. Um, <laughs> come to this audition, and I was supposed to go to Charleston that weekend. He was like, I don't think you want to go. Like, just just come to the audition type mm-hmm. thing. I was like, all right, cool. He said, well, it's not guaranteed. It's going to be you and two other drummers that's trying out. I was like, cool. So, uh, came, ended up getting a gig. And um, so, by December, I was on tour. You know what I mean? And that relationship, um, her, her name was Melanie Fiona, um, our R&B artist. And then from that relationship, um, met some people and they introduced me to NDIRE and then you know, then I started, I became friends with her and then mm-hmm. I started playing for her, you know yeah. what I mean? Like type thing. Yeah. That, let, let's get know. to that. What, yeah. what year did you, did you start the India Ari gig? That was in, um, I moved in, that was in September, 2011. Okay. Yeah. So, and is it like, do you still play with her? Do you yeah. still, t- and mm-hmm. how often does she tour? She doesn't tour a whole lot. We just did a, um, a Christmas with friends tour. She did a Christmas CD with um, Joe Sample before he passed away. Mm. Actually, he passed away during the process of making the record. Um, uh, but yeah, um, we toured that album um, in December, and that was the last time we've been out. Um, and it's what March now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, you know that was the last time. But she's um 
you know, she's she's living in New York now. She still has a place here in Atlanta, I mean, in the Atlanta area, rather. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so... And is her, her band is still based here, or just yeah. you... Yeah, her, the whole her band. band. Yeah, the whole band is still based here. Yeah, um, but, and it, it sounds like that opportunity and and uh, the the other R and B artists you mentioned mm-hmm. and the Ethiopia thing. It sounds mm-hmm. like most of the opportunities that have come your way um, have been because of relationships that you cultivated. Absolutely. You you know you hear a lot about about musicians having to hustle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Get out there, hit the jam sessions, do this, mm-hmm. do that, and like mm-hmm. that's that's important because you got to show your face and and yeah. let people know you're around. Mm-hmm. But t- talk a little bit about about cultivating deep relationships with people. Um, there's not really a a, a science to it. It's just um, just being yourself, man, and just being um, respectable, mm-hmm. respectful, and and being a man of your word, a man or a woman of your word. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And and I don't know. Just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just blessed to have had a, a great mother that raised me and have and been surrounded by some great people that that um, that really stressed the importance of good character. Mm. You know what I mean? And people when they when I was in my arrogant stage would say, "You're arrogant. You need to chill out." You mm. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you need to pull it back. You need to get yourself together. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm grateful for those kind of people in my life. Um, so. I believe cultivating good relationships is, um, you know, outside of the deep spiritual stuff, it's just just being being available. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, um, never um, never diss somebody because of where they are. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. treat them with respect and treat them with kindness because they are person. They are human being. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Sometimes in this industry. Um, People can say, man, you know, that's my bro. That's my bro. You know, da da da. He played for so and so. You know, like your friends always run your resume. You know, or, mm-hmm. or you run your friends' resume. Yeah, I love yeah. doing that to my friends because I, <laughs> I'm proud of my friends. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? So I, I, you know, I don't name drop, but I love like if I introduce them to somebody, I'm saying he did this, he did that. You know what I mean? Right, right, because right. I'm just so happy for them. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, just you know, if somebody's not doing anything. You know, and they're just an aspiring musician, mm-hmm. like mentor. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like good. I mean, it's it's you know, it's the law of reciprocity or whatever you want to call it. And it's just like when you put out good energy, you get good things back. And mm-hmm. um, and I just been in a place where, you know, thankfully of because of the people, like I said, that that's like taught me good character. Um, I'm seeing the fruits of it you know what i mean i'm seeing um the favor that comes out of it you know mm-hmm. what i mean and the fact that my boy that called me for the audition it's a million drummers in atlanta he could have called somebody else mm-hmm. and he only called three people and i was one of them right you know what i'm saying so it's just like i'm grateful for those those kind of experiences right and, and this is and then on top of that this is a guy that i've never played with before he just knows that I play drums, right? You know what I'm saying. So right. it's just like so he that knows was he knows you can, character. He knows you can play, yeah. Like that's the first hurdle that everybody's right. got to clear. But then there's like three or four hurdles after that. Exactly. Is he a good hang? Is he going to show up on time? Exactly. Do I want to be on a plane for eight hours? Do I want to be on a tour bus with him for for twenty hours? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So like yeah. So um, and this reminds me of something my my wife says all the time. She does. She's in marketing and communications and. Mm-hmm. 
and one of her kind of mantras is people who you deal with either in a social or professional setting, they don't remember what you say really. Mm -hmm. If you're in a musical setting, they don't remember what you play. Mm -hmm. Um, What people remember is how you make Make them them feel. feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if they come away from a conversation or a gig with Mm -hmm. you feeling like, man, that dude was genuine, man, that he made me feel good. Man, he was positive. Exactly. That's what they remember. Exactly. But then on the other side of it, like, like the reason I said it's not a science to it, and it has to be genuine. It has to be something that you continually like cultivate within yourself. Um, is because like when it's put on and when it's fake, people know right mm-hmm. away. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like we call it that false humility thing. Like yeah. we clown about it sometimes. Like it'd be like, man, man, he's fake humble. You know what I mean? Like we, we just clown, <laughs> we clown about it a lot. But um, like people know right away. Like and it's okay to be yourself. It's okay. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to not feel like talking to somebody it's okay mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying but it's all about how you handle it you know right. what i mean like you know what i mean like that's that's just that's just my take on it yeah. you know what i mean because some people are are great at being assholes and they <laughs> they stay working because they're an asshole mm-hmm. you know what i mean they're in leadership positions because somebody needs that kind of energy mm-hmm. to like carry them you know what i mean so i get it you know what i mean but for me like it's not. I'm not genuinely one. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, like, if I try to fake it, people be like, "Oh, he's a fake butthole." So I don't even <laughs> want him around, like, right. because he's faking it. Like, he's really humble, but he's trying to be something he's not. You right. know what I mean? So the the key to it is just being yourself and just being genuine. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what. You know, so um, and knowing what the genuine you is. That's the first thing. Some you people have to know. Yeah, you have to know that. You yeah, know? and a part of that is like just soul searching, man, and just you know. Right. Finding out what you, you know, who you are and what you do is two completely different things. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I play the drums, but I'm not, you know, I'm not the drums. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I am a drummer, but I'm not, you know, that's not all there is to Charles Lamont. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, you know, I, I'm a family man. You know, I love being at home with my kids. I love watching movies i can watch netflix all day you know what i mean like like you know I, yeah. you know that's a, that's a part of who i am you know what i mean so like and it's figuring out know. your priorities and like you know Absolutely. if you if you look at somebody else and you say man i should prioritize what he's you know that's not necessarily true like you got to have your own priorities absolutely absolutely because everything like everybody's path is different like you can take stuff from different people and like like with me and quentin like you can you can, and one thing Quentin, this is another thing he, he, he taught me when I was younger. Um, and he said, he said, this goes for playing and everything else is his, his words. He said, because you're sitting under me, there's going to be a lot of characteristics that you take on from me. Like from the way you handle life, from from the way you play, because people are going to say, and he said this before they even started saying, he said, people are going to say, you sound like a little Quentin. Mm-hmm. And people used to say, I, I sound like Quentin. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But he said, but then it's going to come a time that you're going to evolve and that you're going to become your own self. And then you're going to become solely, like, completely who Charles Lamont is, you know? And then it's going to be your turn to start cultivating people. And they're going to be like, he's a little Charles Lamont. You know right. what I mean? And then the same thing. It's an ongoing cycle. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So that, like, that's that's the point of it all you know it's mm-hmm. just you know finding yourself and finding your sound and finding your purpose and finding what you're supposed to you know what you're supposed to do and who you're really supposed to be 
So, in addition to playing drums, mm-hmm. you sing your ass off. Oh, thank you, man. <laughs> thank and, you. and don't be all false humble. Right? <laughs> I'm being I've, fake humble right I've now. heard it. I've seen it. You sing your ass off. So, like, how, how long have you been singing, and and what role has that played in your musical life? Man, that's, that's a whole, uh, like, a, a whole all-of-my-life type thing, too. You know what I mean? Because, uh, like I said, my father's side of the... Um, the uh my father's side of the family was musicians mm-hmm. um my mom's side was singers and preachers you know what i mean so like i grew up with my si- my sister singing like she sings her ass off you know what i mean like mm-hmm. she like she's she's the greatest singer in the world in my opinion you know what i mean um so coming up under singers it was just something that was just you know just second nature almost like playing the drums you know mm-hmm. cuz i didn't realize that everybody didn't play drums or have some kind of musical background until I was like eight. You know what I mean? Because I was just like, okay, all right, we're finished playing basketball, playing soccer, whatever. Let's let's go play. Let's go get some instruments and let's, what? Like I don't play any instruments. You know what I mean? Like you know, some what of my mean friends you don't play. <laughs> you don't play anything. You know what I mean? Like it was it was weird to me that because growing up, all my cousins, everybody did something musical. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like at my and it was funny because, like, in my neighborhood that I grew up in, my father's parents lived a couple blocks away from my my mom's parents. And we stayed with my mom's parents most of the time, you know, during the time my, my mom and dad was split up or whatever. Like, that's where I was kind of raised at. But at my grandmother's house, uh, my father's mom's house, they had a shed a, a, for a real shed. Like, it used to be a car shed. <laughs> yeah. And they had instruments in there. So, like... At any given point of the day, like we, I mean, like P- speak the PV speakers with a little amp, no and shit. The, yeah, and microphones, a drum set, a bass amp, and a guitar amp. Like wow. they had that just they, ready at all times. At all times, it was just in the back. <laughs> so you just go in there and just start playing. Yeah. So that's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Like we'd just go in there. Like if there's nobody in there, I'll just get in there, a little young, and just start hitting on the drums. So like that was my life. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That that's what I knew, you know, and I thought it was just a hobby, you know, growing up. And like I said, until I turned like 15 or 16, I didn't know that you really get paid for it. I just right. thought it was just something fun to do. You yeah. know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, so I, I forget the question. That you, We're talking about singing. Okay. And singing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, singing. Um, yeah, that's, that's another part, you know, and I, I pursued a career as an R&B singer when I, when I was younger. Did you? Yeah, but... Like, it along with the drums? Or did you the put drums. the drums away from No, them? along with the drums. Yeah, this yeah. Was, I was uh, in high school. Um, so, I think my senior year in high school, I was with this, this group. Um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say the name, but it was called Smooth Touch. <laughs> this, was in the, this was in the 90s, so don't hold it against me. Oh, so um, man, that that's that's nothing. Yeah. The, the, the interview that just went up this week was with uh, Willie McNeil, who's a drummer in L.A. And in the '80s, he played in a band called Tupelo Sex Chain. Ooh, so, so okay, smooth touch, smooth touch. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I feel better now. So, <laughs> smooth touch was uh, um was a, a R&B group. It's four guys. It was two of us who were still in high school, and the other two had just graduated. Like they were nineteen or something, and um. We got signed to Warner Brothers. No shit. Yeah, we got signed to Warner Brothers, and uh, it was like a like a one point six million dollar deal or something. Um, but one of the guys in the group, um, his mom 
did, first of all, <laughs> Wait, you were you were drumming in this group or singing? No, singing. Or just singing. singing. It was like we were like I don't know if you're very familiar with the um, I, I know you're familiar with Boys and Men, yeah. but you know how big the Boys and Men two album was when it came out uh-huh. with with uh, uh, what's the song Water Runs Dry and all that kind of stuff on mm-hmm. it. That sound that they had when they came back out because that sound was a little different from the Cooley High Harmony, the first record they had. Mm-hmm. That sound that they came out with was the sound that we had, not. Not daring to say that they stole our sound. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I'm saying like that was the similarity, right. like of the group. So we had kind of that that same type of thing in that vein. So, um, but anyway, um, our managers at the time, like they met with Puffy back in his um, when he used to work for Andre Harrell before he started, like right when he was about to start Bad Boy and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And he was like, man, just hold on to that group. Like, it, like we had a sound that people wanted because yeah. it was for that time. Um, so they used to have this contest called the, um, oh shoot. Who was it? I think it was the Coca-Cola. I think it was Coca-Cola, but it was, um, like a talent show, Mm -hmm. but we won the talent show and, um, but in the midst of winning that talent show, it was like a nationwide, uh, talent show. Um, in the midst of that is when we got signed. So one of the red flags was after we won the contest, we were supposed to go to Washington, D.C. for the finals. And one of the guys in the group, his mom, and he was the only one left in high school with me, his mom wouldn't let him go because they were like like super duper, like save Pentecostal. Oh, like man. you can't do nothing uh, uh, except gospel music. Like right. it was like that kind of thing oh. that happened, which was a blessing in disguise. And uh-huh. at, in the end, it was it was a blessing. But um, so they didn't let him go. To the to the contest to the thing, but we was like, all right, cool. Well, we're signed, you know. Cool, you know that we're signed already, so we still have to go to New York when we, you know, da 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 da. Long story short, he couldn't do it. Mom wouldn't let him. Um, at this time, my mom had already went and um, looked into getting us tutors to finish out our, our um, senior year mm-hmm. while we was in New York recording the album and all that kind of stuff. So all of that stuff was set up like it was like oh, we were man. getting ready to leave. We nigged on the deal because they wanted with the demo. They wanted what they signed. We was trying to find people to replace him, but he was such a strong voice in in the group because he was a real like. You know, I was like kind of the smooth Sean Stockman guy. He was like the one, yeah, of the group. You know, what I mean? <laughs> the force, the you know, the, yeah, the guy yeah. that hits you in the in the belly, right. Type thing, and um, and yeah, so they we reneged on the deal. Wow, basically, you know what I mean? Like yeah. all we had to do was go to New York and sign. Right. Like if we would have went to New York and and signed, then they would have had to find a replacement. Well. He would have already signed, so he would, yeah. he, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been a way out. But if it was a situation where he couldn't have done it, it probably could have still went on. We could probably could have found somebody to replace him. But um, so why why was it a blessing in disguise at that? Because I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was crazy yeah. during that time. I would have spent all my money. I probably would have been broke. Probably would have had all of those kids around the world. <laughs> I probably would have. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I would have self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I wasn't disciplined enough to handle what was coming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like I look at all those things as blessings. You know what I mean? Because man, I was seventeen. Man, man, <laughs> <laughs> I was nineteen when I had my son. You know right. what I'm saying? So I was seventeen. Yeah, and getting ready to get pushed into that. Mm. Yeah, it would it would have been. You know, I mean it. Probably would have turned out good, but I don't know. 
It, so it could yeah. have been good and bad. It could have been good and bad. So yeah. what what role does does singing play in your musical life today? Um, well, I sing. Um, I'm actually in a group called um, Made Men, and um, it's a three guy group. It's a um, it's an inspirational group. Uh-huh. Um, in the group, um, it's it's more of a mission type. Um, the mission statement is challenging men to become better fathers, husbands, sons, leaders, and role models through the power of music as we strive to do the same. So that's the whole mission behind the group, mm-hmm. like to kind of like bring men together and yeah. like kind of like, you know, take on our, our role. Let's get our shit together. Get, get our shit together. <laughs> get, the, get the young boys, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like have them pull their pants up, you know what I mean? Like all of that kind of stuff. You right, know? So, right. um, so yeah, that's the, that's the mission behind the group. Um, as far as the process or the progress of the group, um, it's, it's kind of challenging because because of our mission statement that comes first, you know, like being fathers to me, you know. Right, what I mean? So right. it's like like all of us have, um, you know, responsibilities that's kind of like slowing the progress, the the, the process down. Mm. And um, one of the guys he works for um, for Delta, and he's like really moving up in the Delta world. He's been with them for like fourteen years, so mm. it's like now his his responsibility with Delta is like getting really intense you know what i mean so mm-hmm. um so but we're still fighting through it you know what i mean we're still trying to make this thing happen even if it's just one album you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. we want to make this thing happen and and because it's more of a mission we're just doing what we're doing through music mm-hmm. but we see it becoming like um like like um conferences and like motivational type thing and like if we if we um you know or when we write books or or whatever, it, we already have like you know what I mean, like a following and yeah. you know, that that whole thing, and, and it kind of continues, you know, continues. But the music is just the start of it. And you just sing in that group, yeah, just no drumming, no drumming. And is it a cappella? You got a band? Um, we yeah. have a band. We have a three piece band. But what we are going to do because each person in the band plays an instrument, we'll probably do a couple, you know, things like because I play acoustic a little bit, mm-hmm. so like we'll probably do like um, and one of the guys he plays piano, like that's his main instrument, so we we'll probably do like a two acoustic piano type thing or yeah. some some situations, you know what I mean, or like a percussion and acoustic and piano type thing. Um, but but yeah, so that's. That's mainly I sing in that group. Yeah. Yeah. And I write and all that kind of stuff. So, and that's, that was one of the uh, forces behind moving to Atlanta as well as being a songwriter. Really? And, and, and a producer, you know, because I, you know, I do some R&B production and some stuff like that, you mm-hmm. know. And um, yeah, matter of fact, you talked about Dubai. Um, a friend of mine that we did, um, that I met when I was doing the um, Ethiopia thing, um, her name is Jay Franklin. And um, I just produced, um, I produced five of the songs that she has on her album. Her album just released. And I mentioned Dubai because that's where she lives now. She lives in, mm. in Abu Dhabi. Mm. Um, but she works a lot in Dubai. And um, her album is doing pretty good. It just released a couple of weeks ago. But I, I produced five, I think it's five songs on the record. And it's like an eight song mm. um, EP type thing. Um, so do you, have, her, do you have a studio at home or do you go into I a- have, I have. A production station at home. Okay, I'll say that. Yeah, I won't yeah. say a studio. <laughs> I have some friends that have a real, real studios at home. Uh-huh. But um, but I have enough to to get the point across. Yeah, to, yeah. To even record vocals, you know. Um, so I guess it could technically be a studio. And you do but, some uh, songwriting and some yeah, songwriting and production. And, yeah. And, so you're you're becoming known as a guy who can who can make the shit happen for artists. If if you got a singer or an artist who mm-hmm. wants to put their record together, mm-hmm. you you're the doer. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I can get it done. Oh, I know how to get it done. You know what I mean? I can be the Barry Gordy of it and, and kind of like I can pull in the guys who know how to, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that's, that's one of my strong points. Like I, like if, if a project needs to get done, I know who to call, who would be best fit for it. And, you know, it goes back to it. those relationships. Man. Yeah. It goes back to relationships. And, um, and thankfully like some people have been calling me to do certain things, you know, like, um, one of my friends works for BMI and like they have like different events like, y'all need a band for this or so-and-so, so-and-so. This artist is doing this. He's like, can you put a band together real quick? I'm like, oh, cool. And I'll just call some guys and put a band. Even, even if I'm not playing on it, I'll just call some guys and just have them do it, you know, type mm-hmm. thing and get percentage for, you know, putting it together or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of what I'm moving into. I'm going to play drums until I die. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I want to play until I physically cannot play anymore. Yeah. But... As far as, you know, because the music industry is so broad, like it's mm-hmm. so much you can do, man. You don't have yeah. to be torn with the biggest artists. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to do any of that, you know, what I mean? yeah. to make a living at it. Most of the people I talk to on this podcast are drummers first and foremost, mm-hmm. but they're they're doing three or four different things, yeah. you know, myself included. Word. Um, Word. And it's all music related, mm-hmm. you know, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I think that's it's another mentality that young people have is like I'm just gonna play drums <laughs> full time I right. ain't doing shit else <laughs> right. and you know right. the, the older you get you, there's there's the one aspect of like I gotta I gotta make some more money I gotta have mm-hmm. more dependable sources of income mm-hmm. but you also discover other stuff you like to do mm-hmm. you know Absolutely. whether it's producing or writing or singing or, or whatever it's like you know it doesn't have to be all drums all the time right 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 and the stuff like you said the stuff you like to do you know what i mean um like with you like you like to cook you know i ain't doing that for a living i've seen the you like doing it yeah, i mean yeah. but i mean but because you like doing it you can have dinner parties and charge people if you wanted to you know <laughs> like i mean i guess i don't really know how I that works thought of that yeah you know what i mean and like and have like a, just a, a I'm, gathering I'm, I'm doing it i mean you got a big yard like, <laughs> just, you know have a, a, a thing you know what i mean and just have food and wine or like i don't know steak and steak and beer night or something i don't know you know what i mean like something like just and just yeah. invite people over and small a small fee you will know you, will you come play for it I'll definitely come. I'm gonna right. bring my djembe. Because <laughs> it'll be that kind of vibe. No, nah, but um, but yeah, um, but yeah, man, you discover a whole lot of things that you like being in the music industry, man, when it comes to jingles and you know, I really I really want to score films. Mm-hmm. Um like once again, I'm not a player like that, but I can pull in the people to make it happen. Yeah. You know, in relationships, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm uh, you know, I I built a relationship with a string quartet now. You know what I mean? So it's just like if I need if I need strings, like mm-hmm. you know, I gotta pay them, of course, but they're available. You right. know what I mean? So um, if I need, you know, so yeah, cool. You know, so much you can do. Well, you're a gentleman and a badass. Wow, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for talking with me. <laughs> thank you so much, man. There you go, Charles Lamont Garner, who is as wise as he is talented. Uh, with some people who have a lot of wisdom like that, uh, you don't quite know where they got it. Uh, like they've just always had a sixth sense about things. Uh, but with Charles, I feel like he comes by his wisdom very honestly. Uh, it seems like throughout his life, he has viewed every situation, whether it was good or bad, as a teachable moment for himself 
and uh, kept all those lessons with him. Great talking with Charles. He'll probably be in a town near you before too long, so be on the lookout for him. Uh, In addition to Working Drummer, check out the other two podcasts that are part of the Merge Network. That's the Drummer's Resource Podcast with Nick Ruffini and the Daniel Glass Podcast. Matt Krause will be back at you next week. Until then, thanks for listening and have a good one.